Hello, and welcome to the Not Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. My name is Eric Lefebvre. And I am Jessica Tercero. And this week, we watched... Yeah, Footloose. We watched Footloose. So I forgot there was a remake to this until you texted me about it. And then I was like, oh, yeah, MCV did a remake of Footloose uh, within the last 10 years. And this is like their like Teen Wolf like height. Yeah. This is when they were doing it. Oh, man. I, I almost... I don't know. Time is so fake to me that in my head I was like, oh, this was like a couple of years ago. No, this was like a good 10 years, almost 10 years ago now, which is like, oh, whoa. Yeah, yeah I I feel the same. I don't know. And maybe some of it is because like there hasn't been a lot of change in the way movies look. The, no. Because like anything from like the early or from like the later 2000s, the 2010s feels like it could just be could have just come out like yesterday. Because like if you look yeah. at like 70s, 80s, uh, 90s films all have like this stank on them. Right. And then when you get into like the later 2000s and like 2010s to now, it's like everything is color corrected and everything is this and everything has like the lens flare and also yeah. like the shorter shorts and the sexier and the grittier and the thing, you know? Yeah. So. It's just, it, it, everything's wet and everything's blue or yellow, but it's never that. both. Yeah. Yeah. I think after Michael Bay made Transformers, everyone's like, let's just keep doing that. <laughs> like, like that okay. was, yeah, that was like the standard. It's like, okay, cool. This yeah. is how we're going to uh, film women in films now. This is, everybody has to be wet all the time. This color, yep. give it to me. Uh, yeah, that's that's <laughs> the only acceptable option now is um, this way. So, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but it was trash. <laughs> I mean, to some degree, both were trash. But hey, yeah. <laughs> this is a podcast where we destroy your favorite movies and discuss why they're problematic as fuck yeah we love we, it we are uh coming back from this is our first episode that we've recorded in like a month and a half a month yeah yeah so, with everything that's going on as far as like the george floyd murder and 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 subsequent like ahmaud arbery and brianna taylor and all of that it just seemed so like it seemed weird to just kind of go back into let's watch movies and critique them <laughs> like, right it felt so dismissive and inauthentic so taking a break felt super necessary so yeah it is a little weird coming back <laughs> having been a long time and now being like oh yeah we're doing this again <laughs> yeah like we legit had to like sit here and be like wait what oh shit we need to write the intro <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah i'm glad that we took a break and i hope that you all have been continuing to educate yourself, donate, you know, this is not something that just goes away. Uh, yeah. Revolution is, you know, we have to figure out how to keep it moving and keep it uh, relevant. And that's especially hard right now in today's climate where uh, a lot of people have forgotten that COVID exists. Or oh, <laughs> um, you know, denying like, it. People yeah. are dying. I mean, people <laughs> are dying for all kinds of reasons. And um, just... Don't forget, don't stop. You know, we're going to try to do our part here. And we've already been discussing some things, but like a thousand percent people are still protesting. People are still 
calling for radical change and abolition of police. And there's a lot of uh, really great resources available on social media. And I know personally in the city I am in, there's like, you know, like SEC abolish police and defund the police and all this other yeah. stuff. And so like you can like there are things happening in your town where you are that you yeah. can get involved and help make these things a reality in your city. So. Yeah. And what and truly I think what is the coolest is just well not the coolest cuz obviously none of this is like cool. We shouldn't have to be fighting for any of this. It should But again, that's not the reality and it's absolutely atrocious. But I mean again, white supremacy, that's what's here. Um just that a lot of white people are now like, I didn't know about this. Like even though there really is no excuse for white people to not have acknowledged any of this, but the fact that so many people are now waking up to that as like fuck this is real and i have to do something about it and some seem to be doing something about it in some regard whether it comes to like personal racist ideologies or familial racist ties or like having those difficult conversations with family and friends and yourself and dismantling that white supremacy in your head that kind of self-improvement that's cool and that's like i just i hope people continue to do that and make that kind of systemic destruction a part of daily life a part of weekly life a part of your life just like from this moment forward you are this person and when you see this thing when you feel this thing destroy it it's not real it's a learned behavior none of this is intrinsic it can all be unlearned you know yeah (laughs) there's there's so many different roles in this movement and in every movement um find your role find what you are good at what you can contribute and fucking do it because it's it's important because yeah like this is this just has to stop black lives matter buck white supremacy and yeah yeah Yeah, so now we're going to talk about (laughs) the widest movie we've probably ever seen i know (laughs) since the original footloose which (laughs) was just um wildly white like i mean for the most part every movie is wildly white like it's just cinema and hollywood itself is just white largely so it's it's not really a surprise but definitely watching this i was like oh my god really this is like i don't know it felt like it felt like a whiter than white situation (laughs) i'm sure like a lot of it too like stems from uh the black lives matter movement and all that because you know, we're just continually like dismantling that white supremacy and that within us. And so seeing a movie now, it's like, oh, cool. There is no black people here. There yeah. is no, there's no Asian people here. There is, um, one woman in this whole cast, you know? So like yeah. the more that we continue to notice and question everything, the better. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, I, which, is why, <laughs> which is why I love doing this podcast because I feel like from the jump we've been like, oh, this shit is, it's just, it's really fun to look at something and really break it down for the sum of its parts and being like, you know what? Yeah, this is a cult classic or a favorite, but like, y'all, this is the whitest, most low-key racist shit I've ever seen. Like, what is that language? Look at this coded scene. Look at this character. Look at this tokenization. Like, I just I love going back again like we do 
but uh, some of my favorite movies and being like, oh, yeah, no wonder that bit of racism exists in me. I loved this. <laughs> like, I look at this media that I consume. Yeah. No and shit. It, <laughs> unless you think about it critically, right? You're like, just kind of like, oh, yeah, cool. This is how it is. Because like, it's just so fucking normalized in yeah. uh, in media. Right. And then like yeah. to watch it and be like critical or like think about it. You're like, oh, oh, yeah, God. It's, <laughs> it's it's wild. But. I have a lot to say, and I know you do too. I so let's do too. Let's get GTF into it. Loose. Let's get foot loose. In 1980s small town Beaumont, somewhere in the south, an outsider named Ren and his mother moved from Chicago after sudden familial turmoil. Upon meeting several locals, Ren soon finds that some of his favorite things are outlawed, like cassette tapes, music, except now that's what I call classical, I guess, and dancing. Oh no! Frustrated by small-town life and outrageous city laws, Ren does an angry dance and catches the eye of Ariel, the pastor's daughter. Tired of living in her father's religious patriarchal utopia, and yes, there was only white people in this movie, just like we said, they join forces and challenge the city's new law and hold a prom! Prom! But their um, proposals denied. So they do it anyway in the next town over, and everybody gets foot loose. Foot loose. They did not abolish that law, everybody. They got daddy's blessing, but um, they did it in the next town over. They so had to do it on the other side of the railroad tracks. They didn't win. I know how, it, you know, it's kind of funny. Like, I liked the idea that Beaumont is on the wrong side of the tracks. You know, because so often, like, the right side of the tracks is, like, overly religious and, like, you well, know, this utopian and stuff like that. And I love the idea of that being that being turned like that. Well, what I would argue is that it's not turned only because this. Because I think that a lot of the writing in this is just coded language for anti-black. Like, loud music and dancing is just... And again, it's incredibly apparent in the next one and this one less so. But... Mm. You can only have loud music and dancing on the other side of the tracks. And oftentimes the other side of the tracks is where black people live because black people don't live on our side on the big air quotes good side because of redlining and systemic white supremacy. So to me, the language of like you have to go on that side to do it was just more coded language for accepted segregation. You know what I mean? I, I was just thinking about it from a different perspective, like, oh, fuck that side, because they think this that is they're the right side, side, right? Like, white supremacy would say that this is the right side, right? But, yes. like, if we want to fucking live and have a great time and just be people, we can't do that within a white supremacist society. Yeah, which... So, to that degree and that angle, I'm like, yeah, this movie. But I don't think that was the intention. I feel like. No, no, no. This is giving yeah. you way too much credit. <laughs> That's but way like, too much I, credit. I love that idea. I know that they didn't mm-hmm. mean to do it like that or on purpose or anything. Uh, oh, and yeah. even in the end, like they, they didn't win. They fought the law and the law won. And <laughs> then they just went across the tracks to that other side and were just like, we're going to party over here. And then yeah. I was thinking like, why the fuck didn't they do that? this whole goddamn time like why weren't they just like okay daddy i'm gonna go do my science project all night and just go across the tracks and have like a party in the middle of the field well i feel like it it did seem a little wild i feel like a lot of them just took it elsewhere because halfway through the movie they go to that bar 
And the next but that's also over, like the like, first time they've ever been to. I guess that's true. Yeah. And they're like, wow, this place is so big, you know. And how did Ren know about that place too? He's from Chicago. He's just like, I'm going to take you to my favorite spot. It's like, you're not from here. And this is a two hour drive. <laughs> what do you what do you mean? You're like, also, I don't even know if he's his favorite spot. But. You're driving drunk two hours home. Yeah, like, I know. They danced it out. They weren't drinking and dry. They they didn't actually drink because they danced. So um, I was so um, I was really excited to see John Lithgow because I I love him. I grew up watching like Third the Rock from the Sun, the sun. Yeah. and like for this film, he like called a pastor from the Yellow Pages and told him that he was sad and lonely uh, shooting on location. And asked if he could talk about Jesus because he was trying to really get into the performative aspect of yeah. like being a minister. And mm-hmm. he said like that was like the best thing that he could have done because he was able to like see like, oh, okay, I'd feel like a total hypocrite and snake in the grass. But that dude was extremely kind of persuasive. And that's what I needed to play the part and deliver those that's sermons. Cool. Good. So. I love that. Because, I mean, he in this movie, if we want to start with him. For this movie. I mean, this movie was about him. I mean, yeah. It really was. This wasn't about the kids. Uh, It was centered around him. I mean, like so many of the movies we watch, right? It's like, okay, cool. This is about the kids and this is about the kids dancing. But the real conflict is him not wanting to let his baby girl go. And him feeling morally responsible for literally everybody in this whole thing. So this movie is about him. Yeah, it is about him. And he's so worried about he's so image driven and ego driven that he's afraid because he's made friends with everybody in the town and everybody listens to him because he's the town preacher. He feels like he's in charge of it. And again, sort of centered as the patriarch of the movie, he is the one that kind of everybody looks to. And even, I know we said this off the pod, but even in that moment when like Ariel gets beat up by her boyfriend and then goes to the house and then she's like, I'm not even a virgin, whatever. And then she says something else and he hits her. I'm just like, I know there's like a whole like it was wrong and he shouldn't have done that. And he has that whole monologue later. But at the same time, it's like he wasn't even worried about her safety when somebody was beating her up. What drove him over the edge is her saying she's not a virgin. So he's so worried and intrinsically just like wound up over his daughter's sexuality. Like, what the fuck? Like, well, not just over her sexuality, over the sexuality of every fucking teenager in there. Oh, like, because of the dancing. Yeah, yeah. His his son was killed because he fucked up. And so because of that, everybody has to be under this ordinance and all this other stuff, right? But the thing that I think is really like super, super shitty is rather than saying no drinking, because drinking and driving is what the, the this, right? Every single possible thing that was involved with this one event is now illegal. Dancing leads to alcohol, leads to sex, leads to drugs, leads to this, leads to that. And it goes down this fucking rabbit hole. And he like somehow like he gets everybody in on this idea so far that like it's just they go further and further to the point where they're like burning books and they're doing all this stuff. And he's like, whoa, you guys are taking this too seriously. Like he has a line like that, right? And you are people think too much and all this. And I'm just like. This is exactly what you're asking of them, though. Yeah. And I I thought it was really interesting that, like, you know, 
back before gay marriage was legalized, right? These Christians were the ones that were like, well, if you let them marry each other, then you are going to, uh, the next thing we know, people are going to be marrying animals. They're going to be yeah. marrying blow up dolls. They're going to be marrying this, like, you know, and the people that always go to the furthest extreme with everything are them. They're the ones that are, that are always trying to push that envelope and trying to be more extreme one way or the other. Because they themselves don't have self-control because they don't practice it. They just practice these fucking, like, you know, what's in this book. And the Bible yeah. fucking saves the day. Like, it yeah. condemns everything and it saves the day. And I, like, I'm so frustrated with that. That that scene was, I, as a story, I didn't like it. It was A, all over the place, kind of. I feel like this movie could have been 40 minutes shorter. But then on top of that, it felt very, like, I get that Ren used the Bible in that moment to be like, look, in the Bible it says to dance and in this page it says to dance and we can dance and we should dance. Using it as like a reverse tactic of like, this is something that he understands. So I'm going to speak his language with it. Right. But at the same time, it's hard because that was sort of the big quote unquote heroic moment. It's hard not to tie heroism to Christian ideology in that moment. Like I feel like it was intended to kind of be that and not like using Christian ideology as a way to show bias or to show um, what's the word hypocrisy. <laughs> ah, there it is. Hypocrisy. Yeah. You know, so like, yeah. cause it really was just to be like a kind hypocritical monologue of look, the thing that you say we can't says we can. So let's party. Um, but I did feel like it was just like the movie was so intrinsically, Christian, not, I mean, not Christian, just like Western Christian ideology, I guess. Yeah. A general. Well, and it was also just like so, like religion in this was so subjective, right? And yeah. I think it showed how destructive a, a text like that can be when yeah. you are literally just plucking out the pieces that favor what you want to happen. And so in a lot of ways, you know, people have been reading the Bible for ever right yeah and everybody has a different interpretation and everybody has the whole thing but like it's all subjective you know and in that by that same token like their morality is subjective yes. and you know and can be interpreted in so many different ways and when you have somebody like the pastor in this it can just be so destructive because he used that as a weapon to take control of the town and to then like kind of hold everybody hostage you know yeah he uses trauma as a tool for subjugation. He yeah. like, instead of processing it, he decided to espouse it as a way to, I, I guess, artificially coax folks into believing because A happened, C will happen if we don't do B, right? Like, And yeah, and then that makes them like go further and do things that are even against their text to preserve what they have, right? So they yes. were planting drugs, on Ren and his mom lost her job. There's so many different ways in which they uh, persecuted Ren just for being there, just because this he was an outsider, right? This like town they threw is the, all cops. They threw the fucking book through the window and stuff. Like, is yeah. that Christianly? You know. And so I think like this was a group of Christian extremists, right? Oh yeah. Well, and- <laughs> you can say you can say they were cops. It's fine. Yeah, they were all cops for sure. <laughs> this whole like, town was cops. We got we got rid of that teacher because blah 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 blah. And he's like, uh, 
you know, but he's yeah. just, he's so far gone that he doesn't realize what what a culture of fear that he is perpetuating until he sees like the books actually burning. Then he's like, what the fuck are you doing? And then what is it that he says? I have it written down. It's Satan is not in these books. Oh, so, yeah. Like who elected <laughs> you to be the people that saved all of Beaumont's souls when you burn these? What are you going to do then? Like, which, yeah, Satan is not which, in these books. <laughs> but but even even then at that core that statement is incredibly hypocritical. Going back to a word that I just learned a minute ago. Um <laughs> It's incredibly hypocritical. He's like, Who are you guys to be the one to judge? It's like, yeah, Queen, who are you then at the same turn to be the one to subjugate everybody else to your own personal bullshit? Fuck you, right in the very same way. Like, you're just as bad as these people. I love that you're having a change of heart. I love the growth. I love this journey that you're going on. However, you're still bad. You're still trash. And just because you're less trash than these people doesn't mean you're good. So <laughs> let's take a sec. But, but I mean, I will say that he's very much a controlling figure. He he wants to make sure that anything that's done, he wants to make sure he okayed it in any capacity yeah. in anybody's life in the town. Yeah. So he, I mean, by the end of it, he is sort of not hero... I guess he's more accurately like rebranded as a pseudo hero for his change of heart. But at the same time, I'm like, you're the cause of the the mess. You're the cause of the harm. Like, like what are you I, doing to change it? What are you yeah, doing to what, fix it? Yeah. And instead of passing yeah. the law, you're just like, well, you. I guess you guys can dance over there. And you're if like, you wow, wanna... what a good guy. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> well, and it's so like one of our first introductions to him is like, showing how performative he is, how he's, like, spun this story. Like, because, like, another big thing with him is, like, he's great at talking to groups, but he doesn't know how to talk one-on-one because he doesn't know how to... He knows how to address things and address, like, bigger issues, but he doesn't know how to solve them or how to confront them with individual people, right? So he's going to all these different groups, and he's like, Hi, Women's Breakfast Club. I'm the pastor, and this is what's going on. And then he's like... Hello, men. Here I am. And hello, children. Well, this is how I... And it's like the same story exactly continuing exactly because like he doesn't know how to be a person when he doesn't have a script. Yes, exactly. He he memorized the monologue, but he doesn't know how to articulate actually anything or actually have a conversation with somebody in an honest way that isn't premeditated or predetermined in any capacity he can't be candid he has no idea what that means he has no idea how to be that thing i did like the editing of that though where it's like he's going from these different groups and like he's saying the exact same monologue to each person it's like oh good yeah this guy sucks (laughs) yeah i really love that i thought that they did an excellent job of building his character and making him like extremely nuanced and like well well you think like when you're when I was watching it, like when I was growing up and stuff, it was just like, oh, cool. This is about the kids. Right. But like yeah. now, like looking at this, like there is just so much more development and so much more depth to the preacher than there is to almost anybody else. I mean, yeah, pretty much. I did. I will say for the most part, I did like Ren. For the most part, he had some moments that I was like, eh. but either I way, I did really want Ren and uh, Will to get together. I thought Same. that their their cute little dance scene was so cute. Yes. I was like, "You guys belong together. This is what you need." <laughs> yeah, I that would have been honestly the cutest thing 
what I didn't like is that the intentional writing of their friendship started on a generalized hatred for women. <laughs> like they, oh, he bumps into him in the hallway that. and then they start kind of bantering back and forth. The friend, I forget, what is his friend's name? Willis or something. Will, so he, he says something that's generally like femphobic to Ren and Ren responds with, Willard. what is it? Willard. Willard. Yeah. And then Ren responds with nice hat. Do they make them in men's? And then Willard sort of takes a beat and is kind of like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, let's go to your class. Let's hang out. So like in this moment where like he espouses this anti-femme joke and then Ren espouses it, they meet in this common shared interest. That shared interest is being they hate femininity. And I mean, this isn't a conversation about queerhood in any capacity at this time. So there's the assumption that the femininity that we're speaking of is women. Right. In general. So their friendship is based on the understanding that we both hate women. Let's have lunch. And you're like, okay. (laughs) And then over lunch, it's like, hey, I went here and I was like, gonna bang these two girls and this and this and this, right? Why are you having this uncomfortable, horrible locker room talk in the quad and think that this is fine? And like, are you getting a boner off of this? Like, is this like, and then later on, like, there's the line of, uh, well, I haven't noticed a wet t-shirt contest. Yeah. Uh, I want to put a centerfold here. We're just going to have to dance because there's no wet t-shirt contest. And I was just like, it's, this is fucked. Like, I would argue that Ren is an accidental hero and he's not even a hero because like you know what? when you think yeah. about like the, the tractor thing that they did, right? Like the like, <laughs> let's go play chicken because this whole fucking town loves patriarchy, loves toxic masculinity, right? <laughs> and women are objects. Like they're playing chicken and he's trying to jump the fuck off the tractor, but he can't because of his shoelace. So it's like he's yeah. an accidental badass, right? And then like yeah. Kevin Bacon did a really good job, I think, of like, even when he goes in front of the council and he was just like, um, hey, uh, like he wasn't confident at all. He just like kind of like it was weird and it was awkward. Oh, and yeah. it, like I think that was something that he did really well throughout the whole film. Um, yeah. You know, his his performance of like kind of the cool nerd was yeah. like he was obviously an outsider because he was he wasn't from there. But some people thought he was cool or hot or whatever. So like he had that going for him. But he's like, I don't want that. But. I want to change things. You know what I mean? So there was like, he did a really good job at playing that character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're you're 100% right. I do think though, I forgot that the next scene after they become friends and they having lunch is him telling him about his like sexual exploits or this fake story he makes up essentially. Part of me is wondering if he was just like, maybe instead of, he was just trying to tell a fun story to like gain a friendship. But part of me was like, was he making fun of him? as Um, a way to be like i don't want to give him that much credit but like looking at it if you think about it in terms of like toxic masculinity and locker room talk and how dominance is established yeah you know like the alpha male thing like Mm -hmm. i i think it was more of that i don't think it was I, i think yeah it was probably making fun of him a little bit but like i think the purpose of that was to gain the upper hand and i think it was to to establish him. I mean, like, even if it was true, the reason to say that would be to be like, I'm better than you and higher than you, yeah. you know? And for for some reason in my head, I'm just like, maybe he was going to try to initiate feminist theory. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not even close. His, his wet yeah. t-shirt contest thing <laughs> later uh, destroyed that. Yeah, made it very clear. You're right. <laughs> that like, is so silly. 
<laughs> oh man. I did. I liked the shutdown of that pansy. I think we talked about this off. off that off was good too. I really did like I, that too. Because like the, some local, they're pulling out and they accidentally hit the car, and he's like the local bully guy who ends up beating Ariel, Ariel's Chuck. boyfriend at the time. Chuck says, "I thought only pansies wore neckties because Ren's wearing a necktie." Is like, oh, he's cute. It's the first day of school. Um, and then Ren responds, "I thought only assholes said pansies," and I was like, you know what? Go off, like. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I'm on that like great, easy, solid shutdown. He's like, you're being a homophobic piece of shit. Quick little thing, like we don't need to talk about this. You're obviously foolish. I want to go, so l- please leave. <laughs> like, yeah, I like that. That was a solid little moment. He was just so I liked that he was just confident in himself, and it didn't feel like I feel like the only one that he was like maybe trying to like get along with was Willard. Yeah. Uh, everybody else, it was just kind of like, hey, this is who I am and this is where I'm at, no matter what they did to him, right? So it's like, cool, I'm going to plant drugs on you. And he he's like, whatever. He just yeah. kind of like rolls with things in such like a cool, calm head about everything. Like even yeah. even when Ariel goes straight to him when she like when Chuck beats the shit out of her, right? And he's just like, hey, you know, like rather than being like, oh, my God, we're going to go be like, you know, rather than perpetuating that violence, he's just like, yeah, hey, are you okay? How are you feeling? You know, and so, yeah, he said like some gross sexist things, but I think ultimately he was kind of that person that just doesn't give a shit about any of that stuff. You know, like he wasn't perpetuating it. He wasn't going to be a part of that. Yeah, he was he was like, this happened and it's bad and I'm sorry. What can I do now? Since it's happened, I can't change that. For you in this moment, what can I do to help? Or like, yeah. do you want to talk about it? If not, that's also cool. I don't need to hear about it. It's none of my business. But if you want to speak on it, I'm here to listen. And then even when like Ariel, I think in the same scene, she suggests something about being like, you should go to my dad and talk. And he's like, you know what? No, because your relationship yes. with your dad is your own thing. I'm not going to be the one to fix that or hinder that or have anything to do with that. He's like, that's for you. And that's fine. I'm going to do this thing because of my reasons, completely devoid of what you want. And it wasn't in like a mean or shutdown way. It was just like, I know what this is. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it. That is yours. Don't give me that. That's yours. I I've got my that. stuff and I'll worry, work on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think I thought that, that, that was really cool. That whole scene, I think, was... Yeah, because that was the same scene. I think that that was one of the stronger points of this of this whole thing. was just, like, that level of understanding of, like, hey, I got you. And, like, setting that boundary of, like, I said I got you, but I'm not going to... Like, this is yours. Like, yeah. you, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be used as a tool for this. Because, like, Ariel, too, like, throughout the entire thing, she's pretty... Speaking of alphas, right? She's she's very alpha, right? She has her friend who's kind of more like her personal assistant, right? You know, like, who's this? Oh, it's this guy. Oh, like, yeah. you know, and then they like, I, I thought it was weird that they paired that friend with Willard because like, she's just kind of there to make sure that you know he's straight is what it felt like to me. And now that you say that, I guess I didn't really acknowledge that, but you're totally right. Also, the character actor or who who is acting as the character is Sarah Jessica Parker, which I had no idea she was in this movie. I didn't either. But you're right. She was there as Willard's girlfriend, kind of just to be like, don't worry, it's two straight couples. Because if it was Willard by himself and she wasn't there, like, for instance, when they're at the bar or when... Ren is teaching Willard how to dance. The two of them are dancing and they're like, it was cute and sweet, but it's like, 
we don't want to misconstrue that there's a romance building between these two boys. So like, let's show them dancing, learn how to dance and then cut to him and his girlfriend and then him and his girlfriend, just to make sure we know that they're in very clear, straight relationships. Even if there is some semblance of a friendship blossoming into a romance between these two guys, they're not gay. Straight, straight. Don't worry about it. Right. (laughs) You're right. She was a hundred percent there. Felt like she was there just to placate any sort of homophobic interpretation or viewership. Yeah. Like, and like yeah. she was she was just kind of treated like shit by everybody. Like Willard treated mm-hmm. her like shit. And like, you know, like, you can't dance with my girl. You my yeah. girl. Mm-hmm. You know, like, why why is he gonna dance up on and it's just like, go to bed. <laughs> like, go to it bed. Really, it, it is really that it was so tired because she's like, I want to dance. He's like, I'm not going to dance. And she's like, okay. And he's like, yeah, so we're not dancing. And she's like, okay, fine. They're sitting there and finally she gets up. She's like, fuck it. I'm going to go dance because I want to have a good time. And he's like, oh, but I, oh, and then has like this whole fit about it. So she goes to dance and finds somebody to dance with and they're dancing. And then he's like, I can't stand that she's dancing with another guy. That's not me. And then toxic masculinity, rage stroke out on the floor. Well, and what I hated about that is that perpetuated the exact point that the pastor was trying to make, right? That dancing leads to touching, leads to sex, leads to, you know, like ownership leads to or like, you know, like all like dancing is the gateway for this. And so in some ways that validated the preacher's argument. And I I didn't like that. Yeah, it seemed very backwards. And also like going into what you said about ownership. Yes, it 100 percent implied like I own her. There's like in this heteronormative ideal of of romance where like the man's the alpha, the woman's the sub or whatever like there is this intrinsic tie especially like in marriage and ownership but also in like virginhood and sexuality or budding sexuality as like dads feel so overprotective of their daughters in a way that feels very sexualized and are so afraid of like quote-unquote losing them as as it's like you don't own them you're not losing anything it's 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 that weird unspoken patriarchal bullshit of men owning women or she's mine i have her like this kind of language that implies like i you're not autonomous you are with me i have you you're mine and therefore i can say whatever i want to well and there's also a lot of lines too between like ariel like when ariel's talking about chuck and how she's like he doesn't own me he just acts like he does right things like that and so all of the men in this film like even even the preacher mom like she's like i sat by and i have been quiet and i have been supportive but like you know and so just showing how how women are meant to be controlled in this environment Mm -hmm. um and then you know like ren has to go and ask her daddy to like you know take her to prom even though of course she wants to go to prom with him right it's this whole thing is about like dancing okay fine and the preacher like being able to let things go and pushing his trauma on to everybody else but like a good amount of it is controlling women and controlling their actions and what they're allowed to do and the whole time like i really hated ariel up until she started talking about like oh i'm gonna go to a college it's not gonna be here i'm gonna do this i you think i'm small town or you know like he doesn't own me he doesn't do this right um but before that all we see is just her being like really erratic and like yeah like because she has no consequences to her actions because her dad is bad at one-on-one so he can tell all of this to the whole congregation but he can't enforce it in his home because he has he he 
is incapable, right? And then all she wants is just to be allowed to feel and to do things and they can't. So the only thing that she can do is put herself in danger in order to try to feel something because this family isn't talking about her brother that passed away, right? They're like her friends aren't talking about that. So she throws herself in front of trains and stuff like that. And so when the character development they did with her, it never felt it didn't feel to me towards the middle once we started to get to know her a little bit more like she was just a caricature of like a i'm sad and i'm gonna kill myself so you know it felt you could feel that like she brought um ren to the yearbook to like or whatever they called that place to um show him the deepest darkest like part of herself and just be like look here i am here i am this is and she's like begging for somebody to save her because in this town she cannot save herself and i think that's why she's drawn to him like immediately is because she sees that she sees somebody that's not from this and he's not that guy but yeah like she they did a great job of showing that inner turmoil and really making it about that loss of connection and trauma and not being able to talk about it and being controlled like being controlled and not being allowed to talk about things yeah 100 percent and like, I feel like even with all of that, I mean, the person who's perpetuating it is John Lithgow, her, her dad, right? The pastor. Right. And I just, I hated that they didn't dig deeper. Like he totally got off. She's like, I like, it seemed like they had a sort of mended relationship for yeah. literally no work. Like yeah. she's, she's trying to be like, yeah, he died. You changed the rules. You're trying to control everything. I'm invisible at this point. You can't talk to me about anything. I want to grieve. I want to talk to you. You're not capable of that. So much stuff that she wants to work through with her family, but they're not giving her that time. They're not giving her that chance. And then when he's like, I guess you can go dance over there. She's like, oh my God, my dad's a hero. And you're like, and you're like, he did nothing. What are you talking about? As somebody that doesn't have family that supports me and that's all i wanted to hear ever like yeah. i i get that in that moment like that's that's a hundred percent how she would feel is that how yeah. we want her to feel no not at no. all but like for the first time like um her like her dad sees her and what she wants and is mm-hmm. a lot and is like giving her his blessing there's like this great line that she says where she's like how come when I'm here, you don't want to know anything or about what I'm thinking or doing, but the second I walk out that door, you want to know everything. And I think yeah. that that line really sums up the entire plot of this film and how men treat women specifically, because yeah. like that furthers your point to where it's like, they're not going to talk about this. They're not going to do any of that. And it sucks because like at the end, I think she gave him like a kind of an apology for acting out and stuff and yeah. she sh- she doesn't need to apologize for anything you know and i also hated that like i mean much more in the next one so i want to talk about that a little bit more in the next one but like yeah in order to save the town from the preacher ren has to become like the preacher and influential in the same ways it just it just reestablished that like the the trope of now you're speaking my language there is only one way to communicate, and that is the way of the patriarch, this preacher. So the only way to communicate with him, because he's so close-minded and is so unwilling and unyielding in his ability to change, is to then use that same conversation 
or use that use that same approach of speaking, which would be biblical text. Use that language to show him, and it just it did it did kind of reinforce. It, again, he did nothing. Everyone else had to do work around him for him, and then he did no work. And I feel like the movie kind of made him an accidental hero in that way. Like it just I just that that part was it, it just felt so toxic. Like, dude, he's the cause of this. He is the problem. Why does everybody have to bend at his will for him to even give an ounce of leniency? And then that ounce of leniency is seen as a gallon of graciousness and positive change. And like, wow, what a good guy. He really did that for us. No, he is the problem. He is toxic. Fuck him. A hundred thousand percent. Yeah. I, I hate that he, yeah, was treated like the hero at the end and he didn't have any consequences and now everything is yeah. fine. And also, like I said, they did not overturn that law. They also didn't talk about what happened with the brother, I don't think. No, like they it, didn't it talk was... about it at all. And then later when they're like peeping on the dance, him and his wife in the field and the cop's like, you did a great thing. He's like, I'm just doing the best I can. Like, shut. okay, cop, shut up. You're of no help. And then his wife is like, I'm so proud of you. She's like so re-fallen in love with him because he had this change of heart. Nothing's changed. Literally nothing. Earlier that morning, he slapped your daughter. <laughs> like he smacked her because she said she had sex. Let's right. unpack that before we give some sort of pride points on having change of heart or being a better person. You well, fools. <laughs> and that <laughs> like, just goes to the point like that the priest the priest's wife is just there to be the father's conscience because she's just dismissed she's there to also try to be the bridge between the kids and which is a role that women typically inhabit too right the bridge between the fathers because they don't know how to talk to their kids and the kids but like that's what she's allowed to be anytime that she talks it is like basically to him about him and That line that she said where she was like, I've been a minister's wife for 20 years. I've been supportive and unintrusive. She uses the words supportive and unintrusive. I, why? Why is that okay? Like, and then she's just like, here, this is how you talk to your daughter. This is the problem with your daughter, you know? But we never get a sense of who the mom is, like, or what she wants or like, I mean, yeah, of course she wants her husband and her daughter to get along, but like, She's just a shell. She is there for him to have these conversations with. And and what is sucks and, and like storytelling like this in this kind of writing, we're reiterating these tropes. So like generalized outside of the movie, outside of that narrative, in this systemic patriarchal structure, it is imbued within the structure for the women to do the work of the man, to fix him. That's mm-hmm. a part of the agreement within that patriarchy is the women are supposed to do the, the men are fine. The men exist. Let them exist. If there's a problem, it's the woman's job to fix that. And a movie like this, I guess, just reinstills that piece of that systemic structure in a way that's just gross. Like, I don't like that he is a good guy at the end. He's a bad guy. Why is it her job to teach him how to talk to his daughter? Why is it his daughter's job? to ask him to grieve or to talk about the loss of her brother, his son. Why is it their job to do any of that? It's not, it's his job. It's his problem. He fucking sucks. 
Why isn't he doing any of the work? And then in the moment when he's convinced this whole town that this is so corrupt, music is corrupt, dancing is corrupt, this is the problem, blah, blah, blah. They're doing exactly what he's told them, burning books. And in the moment where he's like, hey, maybe we don't do that. And they're like, okay. He's like, wow, look at me being a good guy. Like, you've done literally, you've you've barely, barely undone the harm that you did and you're calling it a day. Go well, fuck yourself. <laughs> and like his whole character is about performative goodness, right? And yes. he is doing it for himself. He doesn't he doesn't practice anything that he preaches. He doesn't like he's no. like, music is banned, but I'm gonna listen to classical music, right? And she like yeah. Arrow calls him on it and she's like, Why is this okay? And he's like, Oh, because it's classical music. And I'm just like, What the fuck? But like he is only doing things that he thinks will make him look good, you know, like Hanging yeah. out and making meals for the children, right? Where they're like, can you hang out with us, Pastor? Can you do this? Can you do this? Yeah. And like, he doesn't have any time for the individual, right? He has time for the group. He has, he's so much like a politician, right? Like a, like a bad politician in that way. It's just, I, I mean, because that's what it is, right? Because there is no separation yeah. of church and state in this. Like, we don't see him have to reckon with the radical, change that he has caused story-wise there were some good moments in this that were like oh that's cool and that provoking generally as a narrative it was bad because of these things and i do want to go back to something that you just brought up about when she calls him out on the music thing how he's like music's bad it leads to sex whatever but classical is okay and how this scene as well as the movie at large is anti-black just base level yeah it's that double standard of like well that music causes this is that but this music is fine it's racializing these two different camps of what is and is not acceptable which just boils down to racism blackness is unacceptable whiteness is acceptable in this way because of the attributions of what is and is not white in this way and i think the like the abolition or the the general banning of all music and all dancing i feel like they're telling a story about racism without black people with which further perpetuates the racist ideology that is intrinsic in this movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like there's yeah. not even a single black person in here, but there's all these small moments of anti-blackness, but it's like they're, they're trying to reframe it as anti-teenager, like anti-young yeah. people, but it's like, no, it's not anti-young people. You're espousing anti-black ideology, but you guys don't even realize that that's what you're doing. Because again, the system itself, look at the cast. It's all white. It's all white people. There's not even a single black person in this movie. So it was a lot of that was like, what is that? Like, this is so convoluted and bizarre to me that they're having these conversations about this while systemically perpetuating the very thing they're trying to call out. Right. It felt very white. It was a very, very <laughs> like white savior kind of a aesthetic is what that felt like. Well, and what's what's also weird to think about and troubling like, this was based off of a city. A city yeah. actually fucking banned dancing and banned, like, music and all of this. And so, like, this is what that is about. So, I looked it up, too. I guess it was Elmore City in Oklahoma. Um, Oklahoma. Yeah. And so, I guess the, the law wasn't stated before the town's namesake or be before the, the township even developed. The people who were there... They were on Chickasaw, on the Chickasaw Nation's land. Oh. And they, as a group of people, decided to, before they were even a town, before they were even stated as a town, created this law of no carousing, which 
I mean, white people, we can assume pretty clearly that this no carousing law was so any native folk or anybody who wasn't white could get arrested for just existing. Like, it's just one of those arbitrary, like, loitering or whatever, like, justifying imprisonment, justifying arrest. Like, it, it was one of those things. That's, I mean... We can assume because carousing, that is such a generalized term. What is like carousing? It's like what talking too loud, I guess, could be considered carousing at a certain point. I mean, probably depending on the color of your skin, carousing could be talking too loud, right? Like that, that that kind of a thing. And so I, I just, it's, I think it's also interesting that the basis thematically of this movie was based on this very overtly racist thing that happened in real life. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and it totally tracks, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's also, I wanted to posit this maybe too, maybe not even just like specifically anti-black, but also possibly anti-native because, I mean, dancing is a huge part of Native American culture. And so for them to have a no carousing law that specifies no dancing it's like showing up on the land and being like, you can't do that thing that you do all the time. It's ours now. It's We're making it illegal for you to exist. Yeah, that's so... And carousing is just a broadened term for criminalization. So And again, it's fucked. just... Yeah, it's garbage. Yeah, that adds like a whole other level of, of fucked upness to this whole thing. And if you think that this film was not anti-black or anti-indigenous, you are wrong. You are fucking wrong. Yeah, oh, truly. At its core, at its core... Like, exactly what it's it based on yeah yeah uh, um there's a couple other points that i wanted to bring up one i thought it was really interesting that a lot of like the real talks when people get like really down to like the nitty-gritty or like really show themselves like the angry dancing scene which i love i love so much it's so good yeah it, angry ballet yeah. dancing oh i could watch that forever so cute it, um, it was <laughs> it was i mean rightfully so it was the montage that like I mean, it's the only thing about Footloose that I knew. So for I'm like, okay, yeah, it was iconic, 100%. That's why yeah. I knew about it. And then watching it, I was like, yeah. And I like that it was also like 45 minutes long. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the it, montage. It was so long, and I was so here for it. Like, a lot yeah, of the other just... movie, the parts in the movie felt long. But, like, I, I think all of that added to the nuance of characters. Because he's, like, I, I feel like these characters felt very real, unlike the next film. But what I wanted to say is that a lot of those, like, real, real talks take place in, like, abandoned places or, like, places that have, like, a lot of garbage or things like that. And I thought that that was really interesting because it's, like, you're laying out, like, your emotional garbage and your emotional baggage and stuff like that, like, in these spaces that nobody else inhabits, that nobody else is allowed to inhabit, or in these spaces that are dirty so I thought yeah. that that was um, really interesting. I'm not sure if that was intentional, but um, no, I think I think you're right because like any moment there was like honest vulnerability, it was in a junkyard or an abandoned house. I hope that's intentional because like dredging up that kind of emotional stuff, it's it's hard, it's gross, yeah. it's gritty, it's not necessarily easy. So maybe. I- I hope that it was because, like, I also liked the idea that that's also where the the library, like the the kids' library, started. Right where it was like once all of this stuff started becoming outlawed, that's when they started um they started retreating into themselves into these abandoned spaces. Right where they were yeah. then um memorizing these like these poems or these passages or these song lyrics and like 
putting them in a place where nobody would find them because all of that was leaving, that was going away. So this is what they had to hold on to and where they came for inspiration is to look inside of themselves in the middle of all of that trash and all of that ugliness, like just be able to like find their refuge within that. I thought that that was really fucking cool. So I like that a lot. Um, I also really, really, really loved how confident and like, okay, like, so the we've established men are trying to control the women, right? 100%. But I love that first scene, how like when the women are like, and I think that that's really when the only scene where we see women together alone right where they're in the car and they're talking about this girl that got pregnant and they're like who's the dad who i don't know whatever but is she coming back to school that's dope right so they're very yes and like very sex positive very like none of that matters you know they're just really loose about like sexuality and just like really accepting of each other like we didn't see any women being shitty to each other in this movie and we see that in so many other movies but a lot of that was because we only had like one woman, right? Like, <laughs> we only had it, it, Ariel. Um, we got so little time with the women of the cast that it was hard. Like, I'm sure those moments existed, but we saw so little of that because it was such a male-centric movie. You're totally right. right. Yeah, it was like, maybe we just didn't get enough time with them to see them but write like, a gross script where they pit women against women. <laughs> or, like, in trying to control women, right? Trying to control women is like, you know, like marrying them and getting them away from the group because in the group yeah. they're like, yeah, whatever, fuck whoever you want. Like, cool, whatever, it's chill. And they challenge Chuck to like, you know, uh, the, the angry boyfriend or whatever to that like, oh yeah, you want to race? We're going to fucking race. We're going to win. We're going to like, and they're so confident and willing to be confrontational, you know, and willing to yeah. be like, yeah, I got this. Whereas we don't really see that any other time in the film. Unless it's Ariel like arguing with her daddy, I I I really I loved that car scene. I mean, apart from the inherent danger of her just like leaning out, but you're right that that friendship was so like, and even even later that scene uh, with Sarah Jessica Parker and Ariel when she's eating the fries, when she's given her kind of the skinny on what's going on as far as Ren, like, well, he's huge. You're talking, she's like, I have a boyfriend. It's like, oh, it's fine. But it's just like they're being very open, very like fun and sexual and unashamed and like yeah so very it was really great to see them be able to still inhabit that type of personality while being so oppressed and being so like controlled that was really really cool and i'm glad Mm -hmm. that i i like that those scenes existed and i think that that added a lot I agree. I wish there was more of that, but... Me too. I wanted a dance montage with Ariel and her best friend. How cute would that be? Yeah. (laughs) That would have been really cute. In 2010's small town Beaumont, somewhere in the south, an outsider named Red moves from Boston after sudden familial turmoil. Upon meeting several locals, Ren soon finds that so many of his favorite things are outlawed, like loud music and dancing. Oh, no. Frustrated by small town life and outrageous city laws, Ren does an angrier dance and catches the eye of Ariel, the pastor's daughter. Tired of living in her father's religious patriarchal utopia, they join forces to challenge the city's new law and hold a prom. Their proposal is denied. They do it anyway in the next town over, and everyone gets Yeah, That was good. Look at us. We, we sound did great. that. See? We said that we were going to do it on the second one, it. and we did it. Mm. 
I love when a plan comes together. Okay. Um, this movie is garbage. This movie, <laughs> this movie is, movie is fucking very trash. bad. Why the fuck? <laughs> why the? I have a whole section called wait dot dot dot. There's already a legal curfew. There's already laws against alcohol. Um, the last one, the the like that space that we were just talking about where they like write down like, you know, the poems and stuff like that, right? Like that came about directly as a result of like, you know, music and books and all that stuff getting banned, right? And in this one, it was like, well, 10 years ago, wait, why the fuck does this even exist then? Like, why is this like this one? It felt like it felt like when Ariel took him there, she's like, this is where I go to, to think about dying. Like, it yeah. felt so much more shitty, especially because she was, like, trying to, like, bang him there. She's yeah. like, Ariel's character this whole time now has just been reduced to somebody that wants to prove they're a person with their sexuality. Like, yeah, every, which... like the first fucking shots that we get of her are, like, her ass and somebody taking a photo of her ass and getting slapped by okay. their wife right and then like she's she's just uh, this whole this this just wanted you like we were talking transformers this is transformers footloose this is michael well, bay footloose so going to that very specific moment where the guy takes a picture of her butt this movie was written to sexualize children and i don't know why because even in that moment, like, this grown-ass man is taking a picture of a high school girl's butt as she walks by. And whoever the person next to him is just nudges him instead of being like, give me your fucking phone, delete. Like, it's a small aside that A shouldn't have even been there, especially if you're not going to follow through with some sort of consequence for that action. So because you're not following through with visual consequence for that action apart from a nudge, you're essentially being like, that was okay. In the visual narrative of this movie, you're giving it, the nudge isn't enough to justify pedophilia you idiots like you foolish foolish people are you kidding and then and then there's even the whole scene with her and her um what's his name the shitty race car driver chuck again oh my god he's a race car driver this time now guys yeah where she's she stays after because her and her friend got in a fight which she's a mess it's a whole thing her and chuck are making out in whatever some trailer with the car he's like trying to kiss her a bunch or like he's trying to fuck and she's kind of like hey chill out like i don't want to really do that and then he's like using all this very just like pervasive language it's just like all right we don't need that that's fine we get your gross but we don't need this and then he says i'm a man and you're my rebel child and she just says i'm not a child and he says prove it and i was like wait so this is like a mid 20 year old dude and she's just, literally in high school. Why is this yes. in the movie? And why like, is this allowed? Yeah. Like, no. And, and, and so to me, I'm like this scene and that other scene, I was like, oh, so this movie was just written by folks who think pedophilia is cool. I'm like, they think it's fun and they think it's great to throw in a narrative about. And, and also, also. I'm all about owning your sexuality, even as a young person, like coming into your own and finding yourself and doing that. However, this moment where she loses her virginity in this movie was a moment of, I mean, almost right in a very like he almost he he. (sighs) He's like 
he is manipulating her into He's, having yes. sex with him because he knows that she wants to be seen as her own person. She wants to be seen yes. as an adult because she doesn't have any of this agency in her household, at school, yes. anywhere, because this yes. whole society is even more oppressive than the last one, right? Yes. There's not one, but two laws against dancing in this one, uh, no. in case you didn't catch that, right? But like, so she has no agency. All she wants to do is be seen as a woman. And so he is like, oh, yeah, prove it. Like, he uses you know, manipulative language to make her feel small so that way the act of sex will make her feel big. But he is making that choice for her. So this is not a consensual moment. They wrote this into the movie in a and way- And thought it was cool. And they thought it was fine. And so this paired with that other scene, it just- The scene, oh wait, are you talking about the one where he was like, I was just treating you the way that you want to be treated, like a slut? Yeah. Uh, I treated you decent. What he says, then this is, this is, uh, such a big tactic that, um, is fucking bad and was really triggering for me because I had somebody basically say these ex- exact words were like, I treated you like you wanted to be treated, like a slut, like this. But then, like, backpedals in the same sentence and is like, I treated you decent, way better than you deserve. And it's like, wait, hold on. How can you treat me? Like this, like, and, but also say that you are treating me very well. It is one or the other. Yeah. Or do you think that this is the definition of good for women? What the fuck are you trying to say? And so, yeah. like, I don't know why they decided to make him an older fucking race car driver. Like, the, the other Chuck, what, we didn't even really talk about him because he was just like, yeah, toxic masculinity. He beats the shit out of her and he sucks, right? And in this one, yeah. it's like, they just wanted to go the extra mile to make sure that you like that you know that he's the bad guy. So Ren looks so much gooder. And like the way that they wrote characters in this was not it was not more in depth. It was not like it was the cheap like knockoff versions of all of these characters. And oh, instead of like writing these scenes, right, because they're not very good writers, they decided that no. they were going to like, uh, oh, well, you know, what's going to be like, what's going to be marred? He's going to be a race car driver. He's going to be and, and instead of doing it, you know, what's going to be awesome. Instead of doing a tractor, they're going to do buses. How cool is yeah. that going to be? Like, it- what the fuck were these people thinking and then while we're at it oh cool let's be more inclusive and let's uh let's have the person that like saves the day and like allows the dance to happen right to be a black guy let's make his business instead of a flower business which why the fuck do we need to change that but oh like somebody was like fucking cool let's give him a cotton gin and everybody that works for him is also going to be black and so yeah. they reiterated what you're saying with the last one where like they like by crossing the tracks you are then like crossing into the black community right and <laughs> so the, the so the cotton gin was literally on the other side of the tracks ah! and everybody working at the cotton gin was black except for ren yeah i also had a big problem with that um before we get into the tokenization of black folks in this, I do want to... It's not really a joke. Um, I feel like this movie was just written by the people who write uh, the Real World Road Rules Challenge on MTV. Yes. Because it is an MTV <laughs> movie. So I'm, I'm like wondering if... And again, like, n- no... You know what? No, I do mean offense because... If these are the same people, y'all wrote the fucking worst. I I mean it as a joke because it's like, 
you're writing challenges in the show. You're not writing like a story. So it's like very obviously like this was written by somebody who hasn't really written a story. It felt like it was written by somebody who doesn't know how to write a good story and doesn't know implication. Or do any character development. Character development or implication. Like like you put in something as like a haha joke without acknowledging it's very clear pedophilic implications. And then there's no payoff or no conversation about that as far as why it's incorrect or why it's bad or why we shouldn't do that, which is endorsing it in this way. So I'm like, whoever wrote these moments was bad at writing. That's just base level. Unless you're either bad at writing or you believe these things to be true. So either you're a pedophile or you're bad at writing, which is it? Like make make the choice right. because it's one of these things. That's it. Right. End of the story. But- to jump into the tokenization of black folks in this movie. Um, I do want to like, so, so in the same way that like before when he was saying um, the, the, the conversation about classical music and how that was just coded language in that scene, this one tried to not do coded language, but ended up just making it worse, like conflating the racism of it. So like they were taught like one of the lines and one of the things that is off limits is vulgar amplified music or lewd and lascivious dancing. Vulgar amplified music. Okay, that's a really vague way of saying rap music, you assholes. And then also adding the word something like lascivious. Like this is, these are all, like all of this is just super coded and entrenched in white supremacist beliefs and ideologies that only benefit white. It's just, it's just all this constant like, retoning or 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 reevaluating semantic structure in order to make sure that black folks are penalized and it's just it's just language but it yeah it's so gross it's so gross and then even later there's another what is it is it the principal the principal scene is that what you're gonna bring up yes when he says i don't care what the rap people music say marijuana is just wrong after he catches him with the yes the spliff or whatever I don't care what the rap people music say. Okay, so yes. cool. Yes. Get it. This is a racist town. This guy's obviously a fool and he's racist. I know when you're writing like you're 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 getting a character and this character is obviously very close-minded and silly and racist. Like that is who this principal is. But you're not like you're not when you have characters like that and you don't butt them up against the exact exact opposite to show why that thing is wrong. You're just endorsing that thing in the story. The okay, so when 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 Ren goes our first introduction to the cotton gin owner, uh, like Ren is like trying to be his like charming like so in this one it felt like the actor that played Ren was just a fanboy. Uh, that was like, hi, hi, and had this big old goofy smile on his face the whole time. It was like, I'm in a movie. Hi, I'm in a movie, right? And yeah. like, I didn't see any growth or any anything at all with him. But he was like, yuck, I was thinking you could teach me how to do the three R's, read, write, and redneck. Uh-huh. And then uh, his boss is like, I'll teach you the first two, but I'm not a redneck. I will not teach you that. Uh, and yeah. like, and so he like is separating himself from that, which I thought was, uh, I thought that that was good. <laughs> At least he was just like, no, I'm not that fucking person, right? And then like he like the the way that they, uh, okay. But I felt so I felt like that that joke though that he makes is the the it's the movie trying to say quote unquote I don't see color because it's oh, trying yeah. to imply that everyone who lives here is just a redneck and he's trying to be like this is that and 
I, I can't teach you that third one. It's like, okay, yeah, this place is racist. I don't know why this main character, you're right. Like, he's from Boston, an incredibly racist city. I don't know why they're trying to write his perspective of, like, I don't see color when, in fact, he comes from a place of inherent, very intrinsic racism, very real, raw garbage shit. And he's trying to be fun about, like, well, we're all just rednecks because we're all from the South. And you're like... Well- yeah, I don't. I don't understand. I don't. I don't get it. And I. I think that that line that that um, the owner says back to him, where he's like, "I'm no redneck." I think that yeah. was like because this movie doesn't want to call anybody out. It doesn't want to like do anything, do any of the work. It just like sometimes like inserts like a little thing where it's like cool like the let's go to the next part thing that i had written down where it's like they were talking about like oh well when we have school dances right or like the, it's put on by the church and there has to be six inches between you and the person right and then uh the captain of the football team i forget his name but he's also black and he looks uh and he just dismissingly says like two more inches if you're black right <laughs> and and he laughs about it like it's okay was showing that there is absolutely racism here and that they are oh, yeah. absolutely like it's not even a question but it's just kind of like oh yeah like this is what it is and it's fine and he's just kind of laughing about it fuck that like you're going to introduce something like that but you're not going to like you're you're not going to challenge that you're not going like it's just literally just background character because they want you to know that this character is oppressed without even talking about it, it without talking about it but then like in that scene where they have the dance at the drive-in, like... Also a black-owned business. Yeah, which I will say off the bat, I like that there were black people in this movie. <laughs> I don't like the way that they were treated in this movie within the they narrative. Were tokenized. because Yeah, it felt like even at this moment when they're having this dance, like, it felt like because it is this super white-centric narrative, it felt like this was the moment that the black people say it's okay for the white people to dance. So now the white people can't be racist because the black community endorsed it. It's like that that very weird... It's, it, it's a broadened version, a big version of I Have a Black Friend. This scene was just an embodiment of that same ethos. Um, it felt to me like um, if in Bring It On... When the uh, we go and hang out with the Clovers for the first time, right? And see, like, it's like, oh, cool. You guys, like, you guys are using our routine. Awesome. Like, if they were friends right off the bat and super cool. So it's like, all right, chill. Like, when it's like, you come here and then you're watching us do this while the boys are super turned on, like, exoticizing uh, the black women. And then the girls are, like, we have Ariel calling them hussies. And then, like, when she sees her man getting turned on by that and, like, saying, like, yeah, whatever, what are you going to do about it, right? Then she goes out there and starts trying to imitate what she's seeing so she can make him jealous. Because then she's jealous of the sexuality that these black women are, like, oh, it's just... just, Which I'm not... I'm not going to give the writers any credit on this, but it is sort of just a very condensed version of black culture reconsumed, repurposed and resold to white audience to then claim as original white culture. Like it's, it's very much that scene where it's like they're dancing. She's like, Oh my God, these sluts, like they're so gross and being sexy. And then she sees that her boyfriend likes it. Then she's like, well, I'm going to do that same thing too. It's just, it's reappropriating blackness as a commodity after it's already been 
used as a weapon against the black community. It's just, it's, yes. it's that big. It's just so gross. And you gross. see that in this. It's so gross, but it's also like not talked about in this movie at all. Like it's very clearly exposed in it. And like that moment specifically is so intrinsic of, of reappropriation of black culture in America. So specifically there, but then they don't like they don't talk about it. So I'm like, oh, that was an accidental magnifying glass on commentary about uh, racism in America that you like. It just seems so. Yeah, it's so accidental that they stumbled upon like, wow, let me think about that. It was just such an accidental moment of. Yeah, it was. It, what, what a fucking mess. And then like we see th- this was like the quote unquote black scene of the movie. Like. All of our black actors, we're going to give them this one scene and boom. And then um, the other actor who was, uh, what's his name? Sidarius Blaine. He was Fridge in Jumanji. I knew I recognized yeah, yeah. him. So yeah. he he's the tokenized black guy who exists through all the scenes because he's like their friend. But even by the end of the movie, he stops showing up. They like stop including him in, in, the, in the narrative. They ought, already don't give him much of a storyline at all. No. And then as the movie progresses, he gets less and less visible. And that's it. <laughs> that's the end of and it. And his girlfriend has like one line. Yeah, which I just, it seemed like they were really setting it up to be like, yeah, this character is included in a larger narrative within the story. And then it's just like, no, you guys, this is a white story. And it feels like they front loaded the movie with their black actors to be like, look, we're diverse and we're inclusive. But it's not a story about or for black people. They're used in the story as props to propagate the white characters and the white narrative. It's so it's trash. It's a bad movie. It's a bad movie that perpetuates racist bullshit. Yeah, and sexist bullshit, racist and sexist, and, yeah, and all, homophobic all. shit too. Like when they're like this dance scene, I was so mad when Willard was learning how to dance, and like the little like he was learning how to dance with like the the Barbie thing and stuff, and I was like, oh yeah, cute, cute, okay, cool, and the the girls are singing right. And like he's just like, yeah. yeah, fuck this, fuck this, whatever, fuck this. And I'm like, okay, this is not at all what I'm this, not gay. This sucks. I'm, yeah, I'm not like, a queer. Oh, I'm not gay. And then they use uh they use the F word in here. And oh, I'm like, Oh, oh yeah, because we, we joy, talked about this before. So, joy, so let's in the do this. First, yeah, in the first one, there's the line the um I thought only pansies were whatever neckties. He's like, I thought only assholes said the word pansy. In this one, they really doubled down and Chuck says only fags said so-and-so. And then Ren responds using the word back to him. I thought only assholes used the word fag. Okay, great, cool. Commentary on usage of a slur. Got it. Understood. However, you don't need to have our hero saying the word that he's chastising the bully for using. Like if he said it, fine. Then followed up. I thought only assholes said that word. Cool. Look, we got around it. He didn't have yeah, to say it. He did not. We did have it, to say guys. It. Good job. Way also, to go. Like, why are you gonna go that far? You've already proven what a fucking asshole he is. Like, you could have said anything. You could have done anything. But like, this is another yeah. movie where it goes out of its way to give each man a woman because this is another film where mostly men are talking and mostly men have speaking roles, right? And yeah. like, so and and God forbid they're gay. <laughs> also, there's no interracial couples. It's a cool. racist movie that just perpetuates it, the cool. very thing it's trying to comment on. It's gross. It's garbage. 
It's, it a, bad, is, it's a it's a bad movie. <laughs> it's a I was like I there's several times where I had to stop and I was just like hysterically laughing to myself like and my husband was like he was like playing video games with, like his headphones on and he like stopped he's like are you okay and I was like <laughs> oh god. Yeah. Also like, the fun hot take for a newer generation is they made the pastor anti-technology, so he's essentially just the Unabomber, oh which was just so oh. silly. Because, like, I loved it. I wrote it down. I thought it was great. He says, speaking about phones, if that's a portal to the world, I want no part of it. I'm like, oh, what? Because he's claiming that having phones takes you further from God's light. Like, that was his whole sermon. Well, um, also, is, you don't have to, like, you don't go to see the teller that used to give you some bazooka bubblegum oh anymore. God. You just go to the ATM. They're, we're losing. We're losing ourselves, and we're losing that personal touch, and it's just like, what are you yeah. talking about? Oh, and, and his whole thing was like, so you don't get that bazooka bubblegum, and you don't feel special anymore. You don't feel special. But, and that's so, like, I think that's the heart I of it mean, is just he doesn't feel special anymore. And so it is not right and it is not okay. Meanwhile, we're just going to ignore everybody else and control women and treat people like shit. And, uh, you know, just, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I do yeah. like that this movie is accidentally shining light on its gross self. Like, again, that very line, like, you, we're losing that specialness. Like, I don't get to feel special when I go to a store. Like, this is the most, like, so applicable to present day white supremacist privileged folks who are, like, out there boycotting masks and boycotting state regulated laws of, of self-isolation and staying home. It's It's just reiterating this white privilege. Like, you go somewhere and you feel special no matter where you go. That's white privilege, y'all. It just, 100%. it is this super tone deaf and him doing that. People being like, yes, 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 yes. I, I agree with that. I love it because it's like, oh yeah, this community is the community we thought it was. Like, it's very much that you are all privileged pieces of shit who can't even fathom not feeling special at a fucking bank. And there's like, like these other really? lines too, where like Ren is like, um, he calls out like the separation of church and state, which like, all right, sure, cool. Like, I mean, like some of these lines just felt so forced, right? Uh, so he calls out oh. like, what about the separation of church and state? And then like, I forget who he's talking to, but they were like, his uncle. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like his uncle, God, I have so many notes on him. We need to talk about that fucking uncle. Let's but talk about him next. Yeah. He's just like, so why can't you go beer on Sunday? Well, because it's the Lord's day. It's not beer day. Like, what are Be- you talking? What are you? Beer- what? Beer's day is and- Saturday. That's why you stock up before the Lord's day. I'm and like, what he is starts happening? like he starts going down and like making shit up, like you know. And I'm like, cool. This is this tracks. This is a thousand percent Trump supporters. This is uh, yeah. This- oh yeah. So it's interesting that this came out in 2011. You know. Oh yeah. Oh, 100. Um- <laughs> percent But yeah, let's talk about that fucking uncle. Um. This is a very clear depiction of reinstilling toxic masculinity and teaching it to younger folks. Like, the uncle is so, like, what does he say? Off the bat, he's such a fucking asshole. Like, he's like, he, you too big to call me Unky? Uh, well, yeah, he says, well, you, you, you used to call me Unky West, you too big for your bitches now, or what? Like... Are you trying to start a fight with your nephew? What is this line reading? What is this performance? Like, are you going to beat him up now? Like, 
You're not a vegan, are you? That's grass-fed beef there. Let's pray. What's that, Yankee sarcasm? See, there's rules in my house, and they're all common sense. This ain't Boston. No attitude here. Also, bourbon's a... This is a secret recipe for my grandma you never met. Uh, Bourbon's a secret ingredient. You know, that's what it is. And then his wife's like, no, it's butter. He's like, no, it's bourbon. And she's the one that's fucking cooking it. And then you're just like... uh, like, so they, they, his, this character was wild because they start off like this <laughs> and then he like, and he, he is so fucking inconsistent. <laughs> he's like a good old boy, but he's also like kind of progressive and kind of the reason that everything happens and like has runs back and like gives them money for like cancer treatments, but also like blackmails the judge and is also like, he also calls out the preacher and is like, your sources are unreliable. This kid's going through shit. You ever had to watch somebody die? But also saying, you know, this is grass fed beef. Okay, cool. He's, he's a ba- he's a bad person, and the character was written poorly. Also, like, I it just it it made no sense. It just truly the first act with him and uh, Ren, it felt like he was trying to pick a fucking fight with his nephew the whole time. Yeah, like it his really nephew, did. his nephew was silent, not saying a word, and then he's like, "Don't give people attitude. This isn't Boston." Like, okay, he wasn't saying anything. What are you doing? Like, are you gonna hit him? What do you what what's the fucking deal, Dale? Like, what are you gonna do? What is happening right now? Yeah. Anyways, he was a fucking mess. I hated his character so much. And like you said, it was so inconsistent. He's like kind of a reluctant good guy. Like he's got a tough exterior, but secretly he's a sweetie. No, he's not. He sucks. He's the moderate right. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And so he's like very flippy floppy, very just kind of like doesn't really question anything. Sure, he might make an okay decision or back somebody that deserves to be backed every once in a while, but like that doesn't make up for what he's done or oh, not, truly. or like who he is inherently because he doesn't have any growth. And no. so cuz his thing is like, well, common sense. There's no rules, it's just common sense. It's just whatever he feels. So like his morality yeah. and his life and the way that he lives it is always going to be completely subjective. And there's not a, a concrete moral code that he sticks yeah. to. Because um, common sense is so relative and subjective. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, what is that even? It's, no. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's so interesting because I have more notes for him than I do for any of the other men. Like on Ren, the only notes I have are, I went to Russia with my gymnastics team and he didn't have to accept that challenge with Chuck and that no. dance is important because his daddy sucked and his mommy died. And so yeah. he's got to do something for himself or else he'll disappear. That's fucking all I have for him. He's uh, most of the time he's a sarcastic, sexist asshole. And that's yeah, he sucks. Like, and he's just got that shitty like look on his face the whole time, like that big old dumb smile. Right. And like <laughs> he, like this actor lacks any fucking depth. Right. Because like in the last one, like Kevin Bacon, like had that little bit of coolness, like we were saying. Right. And this guy, even when he went to like talk to the the council, right, he like goes up there and it's like he's been preparing for this monologue his entire adult life outside of this character. So he's ready for this. Right. Yeah. Like he was so unbelievable and so gross and so bad and so, so, so sexist. I I mean, go ahead. To be fully fair, though, it was really hard to maintain that garbage Boston accent. So he was focusing oh really God. hard on that. 
So that, that was there like 10% of the time. <laughs> it was so bad. It was just like, anyways, this is a car. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> He's like, anyways, are we going to that restaurant? First, we're going to have to park the car. And you're like, you need to stop. Like, either you have an accent or you don't. <laughs> like, it was so, so horrendous. It was very, very, very bad. Yeah, um, it was awful. And they played so much more on the preacher and on Fred having the same motives on wanting to steer uh, public opinion in a way that they saw fit. They, oh, yeah. The, like, Ren's mom doesn't exist in this. Like, they made this choice to have her be dead. So that way, Ren would understand what it's like to lose somebody. And that's how the preacher and him, like, bond is through death. And they gave all of that character development that was supposed to be with the preacher and Ariel, his daughter, to Ren and the preacher, right? Yeah. And they took away a whole woman character to give Ren more nuance and to give him something to talk about. Which just goes to perpetuate the idea that women literally have to do all the work. In some cases, literally have to die. Just so the men don't have to talk about their feelings. Also, like that it gave her brother a little bit more legitimacy, right? Because he gave them some money while she was going through treatments and stuff like that, right? So she yeah. was there to make the men, to give them depth. Or she she was not there in order to give the men more depth and to yeah. show how good or how much they have suffered. Yeah. Fuck that. It was bad. It was terrible. It was garbage. You know what? I like really hate this movie. It was really bad. It was. It was so bad. Super. You guys. Super bad. Like, the, okay. Y'all, everyone listening to this. There are some of these movies that are bad that are just like, okay, they're bad. This movie's bad. Like, I don't, I don't know really how to make the, that distinction clear because it's obviously not and i'm using just bad over and over again to reiterate my idea and it's not working but it's a bad movie it's really not a good movie it's bad this is anyways you want to get into miles teller's character this is the well this movie is like basically one of the thesis for why we're doing this because this never should have been remade it shouldn't have been remade at all like if you're going to remake it and make it more inclusive tight as hell also the soundtrack was fucking off like it was so bad the fucking dance scene like you're gonna you're gonna angry dance to white stripes to like to that oh, white stripes song it was like that Jack was white fucking just, mm-hmm. dumb that was so dumb and it was, it was like silly. it was so painful and i fucking hated it but like yeah, yeah this this movie was this is our our thesis as to why you need to have inclusive writing rooms and why you need to have a plan and good ideas before you even decide to make a movie because or like yeah. remake a movie like there has to be some thought there because like like why well, there was no reason to do this it's bad i there's a couple of other things i do want to talk about the i think the only line that i liked out of this movie was when they said uh, lion dancing is a white man's wet dream. Ha, yeah. But I did want to talk about the roles that the other women were allowed to have. So there's a lot more sexualization of women in this, clearly, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about the ass shots right off the bat, like the way that women are filmed in this um, 
it's very lingering on like the female gaze things like you know like oh there's no there's no green flag so like i gotta take off my shirt right like because that's a thing um but there was a lot more uh locker room talk that felt really fucking bad where they just decided to go down like they had the wet t-shirt contest thing again right This time, instead of the dancing club thing, it's like two Russian women. And Willard says something like, oh, yeah, Russian women range from bearded to beautiful. Fuck off. And then he has this line where he says, down south, you can't start a story about a threesome and not finish it. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. He's Uh, just gross. He's just a gross ass dude. And uh, then also, like, they do more talking about women than they do interacting with them. So, like, yeah. they, they love to talk about Ariel and how tight her jeans are. And they're like, is she worth all that attitude? And, like, then fucking Willard again has, like, this this line where he's, like, at that line dancing bar. And he's like, y'all got those girls with the Jaeger shots in their boobies? And, like, we're, our town's making progress. We have satellite. We have cell phones, you know. And then Ren says, you don't have progress. There's no wet t-shirt contests. And Willard is like, if we can't have braless wet women in Beaumont, the terrorists win. Yeah. Haha, that's so funny. Like, like so that, funny. That is a line that we decided was good and was funny. It's a bad movie. It's such a bad movie. It's so bad. He he sucks. He's so bad. He sucks. He's He's trash. So so and it sucks because he to me, like, he's a cop, right? He's definitely a cop. He's definitely weird, pervy Trumper, right? But like he also like serves as like a way to validate ignorant America. Right. And just in the same ways that like the uncle serves that too. Right. He's just like, why, why say that if we can't objectify women, the terrorists win? Why say that? Like, why is that a part of your vocabulary? Do you even know what you are saying? Like, no, because that's an automatic response. If I can't have something that I think that I am allowed to have, then the terrorists win. That's just like, that's the most ignorant fucking line. And I can't get over that line. I, yeah, it's, there is a level of argument on the side of the writers to be like, it's characterization, he's bad. Yeah, but creating that as a line, like you can create a shitty character without being as so fucking tone deaf. It makes, it makes that kind of, it makes that phrasing okay. Yes. Right? Again, you're not you're not having a conversation about why that's incorrect. So by putting it in here and creating that in a character that you are portraying as silly but lovable, you're endorsing it. In the same way that we were talking about yes. earlier, without butting up an anti bad thing, ergo a good thing, you're endorsing the bad thing that you're trying to comment on. But if you're not, if you put the bad thing in there and you don't comment on it, you're endorsing the bad thing. So they're endorsing a sh- fucking bunch of bad shit in this movie. It's it's terrible. It's toxic. Yes. Yes. And all of the women all served to fucking be their male counterpart. Even Ariel was just reduced to, like, she had no growth, like we were talking about, right? She's just kind of no. there for Ren and her dad to fight over and Chuck to be mad about. And, 
that's the one that we see. The one woman that we see is this, right? Um, but like even the way that they use the nieces, right? They are only in uh-huh. the shots when they are there to add interest or validate Ren. The aunt shows up and she's like, I don't know sports, but I'm here to support. That's like the only line that she has. Um, the friend that was in the first one is she like starts off strong where she's like, um, no, you are acting really shitty. And then it was like she quickly backpedals because Ariel is super manipulative in the way that she she she's manipulated by men. Right. So she uses that on others. And she's like, do you want to fuck me? And then Ren, who's an asshole, is like, sure, we'll fuck. And then you're going to feel like shit afterwards, like it, which puts him on this moral high ground by putting her down. Cool. Um. Also, yeah. the priest's wife still serves in that that same role that she did before and has basically the exact same lines, just less of them. And then just to make sure they really drive this point home, the last act that they have in the movie, they have the black football captain. It takes the the white man to go over, right? And be like, hey, you got to get your boys. You got to be a captain. You got to, you know, they're just sitting there, whatever, right? Uh. And he he's like, oh, yeah, you're right. And so he goes over to his football boys and he's like, Women are looking for men to take charge and ask them to dance. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. And they go and they get their woman, right? Uh, like the the one that they just selected off of the wall. Because we need to make sure that men are allowing this and men are the ones that are taking charge. And yeah. uh, women are looking to be told how to do things and that things are okay by men. The heteronormative audacity the patriarchal audacity of this movie is so silly i something clicked in my head a little while ago that i want to posit here so in the first movie when he's driving the yellow bug gets all the looks whatever he's kind of painted as like queer kind of people mock him because of his tie because of his hair because of his tight jeans like yeah there, there are all these things that are like not masculine. And as a man, he's supposed to be masculine. And that's the whole thing. So he is sort of queer coded in that way or semi bullied for being femme, even though he is straight. There's that whole thing. This movie immediately when we're establishing Ren's character, when we see like, oh, big reveal, he gets the yellow bug in this movie. He's not just gifted it. The uncle's like, it's yours if you can fix it up. He's like, well, I sure sure shit no cars. Cool. So what the first movie didn't do, we're masculinizing this character. Boom. He's so good with cars. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, And also with the pedal being a rope, yeah. Because it's less like he did it himself. It's more rugged. It's more it's also masculine. More like trucker, like right? Yeah. So it's yeah. like it's like a guy's car now. It's not. It's not a gay car. It's a. It's a masculine car. That's that's what we're seeing here. And so they're they're erasing like any sort of the queerness of the first one. Just off the bat, this character's not gay. He's not gay. He's not gay. He's not gay. He's straight. Hey guys, you know he's straight. He's straight. He's not gay. And then that moment, the big fag moment when they're having that conversation in the first movie, the bully says the thing about pansy to him directed at him specifically. He responds, you know, pansy is a word assholes use, whatever. So it's directed at him because we've already established that he's like queer or people see him as queer, whatever, even though he's straight. 
And then in this one, the bully says the word fag at somebody else who's not there. And now our big straight hero man is using it also because there's nobody queer there to tell him that he shouldn't use it. You know what I mean? Like they're just, they're making sure any wince of queerness is not here. Gays are fine. And I'll say the word fag, but not here. Queers aren't welcome. That's this movie in a nutshell. And I do want to also point out, yes, the first Footloose was also straight, but the only nudity that we saw was men. Men's and I feel butts. like that's a big twist. Yeah, because, and, and not to like sexualize, because like these men are in high school or these, these boys are in high school. Like right. I don't want to like sexualize, but I think in a lot of movies, especially at that time, the only nudity that they're showing is female nudity uh, as objectification. So yes. it's, it's interesting that, I, and I, what I liked about this is that they're not showing, like, they're showing nudity, which I'm like, cool, yeah. And it's like, guys, it's like, wow, that's bizarre. Like, they wouldn't normally do that. And it's also, the guys aren't really there to be objectified. Like, the nudity isn't, it's not a consensual conversation towards sexualization, right? Right. It's just, it just is. So I thought that that was cool and also very queer um, in that movie. But this movie literally just erased any semblance of gayness and like again even in the first movie when they're dancing together at least they're showing the dancing and there are semblances of love between two men happening that we're seeing they they stomp it out kind of quick with like nope he has a girl and he also has a girl but in this one that doesn't happen at like the one moment where they are dancing um willard does a head and arm throw and pretends to throw him like oh well we can't be touching unless i'm wrestling you (laughs) we can't be touching unless we're roughhousing the only time that i'm gonna touch a man is if i'm hitting him or throwing him (laughs) you know what i mean so it's it's just it fun this movie's trash in the first one like all of the sex that happened was consensual you know yeah and And then and then this movie's all about non-consensual sex yeah. And it's like cool and it's fine. And it's fun. And you're like, what the fuck? Y'all? Oh, what is this movie. movie even? I'm done. Same. I'm done. I'm, I'm done over too. It. Okay, cool. <laughs> and we're back. This is the end of the show where we talk about how loose, we felt about but it. Loose. About Footloose. JK, we already told you how we felt about it, but we're going to tell you again. Whoop, whoop, whoop. In case you forgot, first one, original Footloose, 1984. Eric, who yes. was it for? It was for racist lawmakers from the South. Mm-hmm. That's who it was for, I think, generally. Um, yeah. Who do you think it was for? Um. I think it was for white Christians. Ooh, I love that. It was a thousand percent for them. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like the the cover of the movie could have just been that Christian flag. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would have been good. Or like just a picture of the Bible. (gasps) Honestly, yeah. Oh, you know what they should have done? Collector's edition where they package it in like a really solid, like a real looking Bible. And then you open it and then there's the Blu-ray. How cute. Right. It would have worked. You know who would buy that? White Christians. White Christians would buy that. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. Um, did you like it? You know what? I still like this movie. I I really love John Lithgow. 
I love angry dancing. I liked all the dance montages. And um, yeah, I still had a fun time. It does feel long, but it feels a lot more nuanced than I remembered it being. Yeah, I, I feel that. And that soundtrack bops. And now I'm going to have Footloose stuck in my head for uh, approximately 10 years. <laughs> Did you yeah. like it? Uh, it was fine. I've never seen Footloose until yesterday. I'd never seen it. Um, it was fine. I thought Kevin Bacon was very likable. I liked his character. I thought generally unproblematic, which I was surprised by. Um, as a story, generally as a story, I thought it was a bad. I don't think it's a good story. I don't think oh, it's, it's not no well written or told. I just don't think it's. I just think the story is bad. Some of the performances are great. John Lithgow was great. Mr. Bacon, as it were, was also great. Um, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say it was fine. I didn't really like it, but I didn't hate it. Yeah, I uh, you I know. think that's super fair. Yeah, it's like one of those, I'm not going to like go seek it out, right? It's just like, yeah. if it's on TV, like, I'm going to watch it to watch that those dance scenes, really. Yeah, truly, it's a dance scenes. I mean, for me, if it was on TV, I would probably change it just because I'm like, eh, I don't need this. I'm well, fine. Well, <laughs> the intro. I would watch the intro again. I love those yes. feet. Those the dancing feet, feet were very cute. Yeah. Okay. Remakes. Do you think this was new interesting or the same was it progressive or regressive do you think that the story evolved at all with today's ideals what do you think i think that it was the same in a new and bad and regressive way i think they tried to make it evolve with today's ideals but only by saying yeah cell phones right am i right cell phones right yeah um and I think that this was an abomination of a film that never, ever should have existed. And I can't believe this got greenlit. I agree. I agree with everything you just said. Yeah, it was it was bad. I have nothing to add. <laughs> I don't have anything to say else about that. It was just not good. Um, who was it for? Um, maybe. Okay, this is for people that like, think that the real world is real and not scripted (gasps) see i was gonna say we went the same route mtv shows this is for people who love jersey shore and identify with every character on the jersey shore this is for snooki this is for snooki snooki i hope (laughs) you loved it god you know what would have made this movie better is if she had a cameo oh my god could you or if she was ariel Oh my god. <laughs> what a performance that would have been. Can you believe that? I mean, next to At who that- they had for Ren, like I don't I think that that probably could have improved this film. I would have probably actually maybe even liked this movie if she was in it. Oh yeah. my god, what a mess. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Did you like it? Fuck no. Sick, me neither. It was garbage. This can go into Hot, the incinerator right now. Yeah. Honestly, don't even separate out the plastics. This is toxic plastic, and it needs to... I, I don't even know where to put it. I'm sorry that it's killing the earth. This movie is destroying the earth, and we don't need it. This movie <laughs> should not exist. The end. Um, the end. I think that's it. I think I'm done. I don't want to... <laughs> I'm over that movie. Same. Okay. Yeah. Well, 
Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this week's episode of our podcast. If you have questions, suggestions, comments, want to talk about, want to argue, or write some fanfic about uh, Snooki in the role of Ariel, um, hit us up at... Uh, Honestly, Nos- please send it in because I would love to read it. <laughs> Uh, write to us at nostalgiapodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on the social medias. We have a Twitter and an Instagram. We don't really, we're not on it as much, but you know what? Maybe we will be at some point. Yeah, I mean, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Also, rate and review us if you haven't and you have the time. It helps a lot. We love you so much. Uh, thank you, David Tresero, for providing tech support, Danny Barkley for editing, and thank you, Eric. Thank you, Jess. I miss doing this and I'm happy that we're back to it because this is really fun. This is great. All right, everybody, stay safe and stay cute. And And stay critical. Yeah, boom, 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 boom. Because we're loose. Bye, 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 bye. Don't really want to make it tough. Uh -uh. I just want to tell you that I've had enough. Honestly, you may hate me, but it ain't no lie, baby. Bye, bye, bye. Also, fuck Justin Timberlake. Bye, guys. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs)